The blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm Brian. Hey, all right. The three amigos back in the house. Brian, is this is this your, you know, tr- your third rotation? Have you done all the types of episodes now? Um, no, I've not done the top ten. Yeah, that's right. Because every time you come on... You're a movie man, and so we keep going back to movies, and they're right. terrible and, movies, and, terrible god-awful movies. Oh, come on now, the great <laughs> movies. And the problem with the top ten is they're interesting. I'm just not creative enough to think of a top ten list. <laughs> okay, sure. Sure, well. So even uh, when this bro- came about, I think it was either you or John like, hey, you got a top ten, and I'm like, in my mind instantly went, album review, not top ten. So. Album review, sure. Sure, sure, sure. So, um. Uh, I will say, yes, we are doing an album review today, which we'll jump into. Uh, I know everybody is used to hearing John talk on album reviews. He is here with us, uh, but his voice is a little bit strained, and so I'm leading this one, and he'll, of course, chime in with all of his his great musical knowledge. But, um, Brian, uh, please remind everybody about yourself, and then how about you introduce what we're talking about, and most importantly, why are we talking about it? Okay, um, Brian McClure, right outside Raleigh, North Carolina, chemistry analyzers, all that stuff. Um, mainly, you know, I'm here for the movies, but today we're changing up with the album review and we're going to be discussing uh, the debut album of Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine. Yeah, Pretty Hate Machine, Nine Inch Nails. Uh, Nine Inch Nails is a very awesome band, uh, in quotations as I put. It's Now it's just Trent Reznor and it's basically kind of always been just Trent Reznor. Um, I have I think- seen the... I think now it's actually considered him, Atticus, and maybe okay. Maureen. Okay, um, so a couple folks. But right. yeah, it, it has actually officially been changed a few years ago. Nice. Um, so, first off, why why are we talking about this album for you? Like, what, what's important about this album in particular? Um, I didn't listen to this album right when it debuted. It was a couple years later, but right before I went to college, um... In 94 is what I think when I was introduced to it, 93, 94. Um, but there was even a discussion on another chat that I was in love with about somebody's asking, like, what do you consider like perfect albums all the way through? Non, you know, non skippable tracks, all that. And to me, this is one of them. I mean, I, if I was going to rank, there's probably one track on here we'll get to it that I would probably rank one or two of it, obviously on the lower half. But none of them I can really skip. I think they're all good. I think this is one of those perfect albums of of 10 tracks and to me none of them are skippable they're all they're all good very cool um all right i do want to say yeah as you already mentioned this is nine Snails debut album released in 1989 um it uh it hit number 75 on the billboard 200 album charts and it's, it's certified three times platinum in the u.s so it's got some very good album sales uh john what is your nostalgic value for pretty hate machine so I wasn't introduced to Nine Inch Nails until the Downward Spiral came out. Um, I was in middle school when that came out, and um, I re- remember it being a big deal. And I never, I liked the song, but I was too young to convince our mother that I needed to buy uh, the <laughs> album of a song that said, I want to fuck you like an animal. <laughs> yeah. So 
it took until I was in high school to really get to explore um, kind of the back catalog of Nine Inch Nails. And I think I was really introduced to a lot of it by um, a friend who was in the high school band with me who was the type of person who you would not expect to be a Nine Inch Nails fan. She was very much kind of a... I'm not going to say nerdy because nerdy is, is not the right word for her, but like she was like a, she was a good student. Like she focused on her grades and that's sort of, like, she was going to go to college and then she just secretly loved industrial rock. Like she loved nine inch nails and tool and stuff like that. And so that, uh, that was how I was finally introduced to some of the back catalog of them. This album as a whole album per se, I probably didn't listen all the way through until I got to college though. Um, for me, similar enough to John, I was introduced to Nine Inch Nails through the Downward Spiral um, and, and MTV and closer on MTV, uh, things like that. And so I did eventually get Downward Spiral and then I got um, And All That Could Have Been, which is a live album, uh, which is phenomenal in my opinion. And so the only tracks from Pretty Hate Machine that I had any familiarity with were basically because of that album or, you know, they were somewhat singles. Um, and those are the ones that I know. And this is the first time I have actually listened to this album all the way through. That's what I'll say. So uh, that, uh, That'll be interesting, I guess, to hear your take on it, being coming into it, listen mm-hmm. to it now. It's a very, yeah, exactly. And it is a different sound mm-hmm. uh, to an extent. For, you know, Nine Inch Nails, had, Trent Reznor has grown right. in his... Oh, um, yes. In, in his musical knowledge, and so some of his things have changed, and I will talk about all that. So, and, and I'll just—I mean, a lot more later songs definitely, I think, are better than what's on this album. But just start to finish, other albums I'll skip songs on. So, copy, you know. okay. Uh, so the personnel on this album: Trent Reznor did basically every fucking thing uh, on the album uh, because he's Trent Reznor. He is a musical genius, uh, and so he did vocals arrangement digital editing, programming, engineering, all that stuff. Uh, And then there's a whole bunch of other people who did different engineering, mastering, uh, things like that, because there's a lot of electronic sounds, obviously. If you know Trent Reznor, he's going to do a lot of that kind of stuff, a lot of synth, a lot of, um, you know, electronic-y stuff. That's how he incorporates things, and obviously industrial music does that. Um, Some people, to specifically call out, there's this guy, Flood, who I think worked with um, Trent Reznor on multiple different projects, um, and I didn't really recognize anybody else, um, but John might know some. Uh, so, um, yeah, pretty much every instrument on this is some sort of, um, uh, synthesizer or program drum machine. Mm-hmm. And even with one exception, even the guitars you hear, which is very seldom actually, mm-hmm. uh, some of the more, more prominent ones are sampled from other songs. Right, I was going to say, there's a lot of samples on here, and even the samples that he used, he played backwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. With one exception, there is a, a guitar uh, at the end of uh, the fourth track, which is, I can't remember what the name of it is. I'll stop uh, Sanctified. Yeah, Sanctified. Um, that was done by Richard Patrick, who we would know for two reasons. One, the- he is the little brother of the T-1000, I was going to say, I, I, I immediately thought of T-1000, but that's Robert Patrick. Yes, that's his yep. little brother. He is also the lead singer of Filter. Yes. Ah, that's right. 
I have a couple more fun facts, but Brian, anything else that you want to talk about uh, that are just kind of overall with this album before we dive into it? Um, I mean, and you may have these, I may be still in some of your thunder. I mean, you mentioned the triple platinum, but it as an independent album was one of the first to be triple platinum. Okay. And then uh, I know that Rolling Stone ranked this um, 453 out of the 500 greatest albums of all time. So it did yeah. make that list. Yep, that is uh, very, very impressive. Um, yeah, the only other thing I kind of wanted to bring up was that uh, even that Reznor himself described Pretty Hate Machine as a as an all-purpose alternative album. Uh, if you want to stage dive to it, you can. But if you're a big Depeche Mode fan, you can find out what you need and get that as well. And then he further stated, I like electronic music, but I like to have some, but I like to have uh, some aggression. That first wave electro music, Human League and Devo, that's uh, the easiest way to do it. But to be able to get some humanity and aggression into it is the cool way. And that's the thing. Pretty Hate Machine is a record you can listen to and get more out of each time. Um, So, yeah. So he, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. You can see those early, um, like, Depeche Mode uh, you know, th- those influences of those kind of like late 80s, mid mid early 80s um, influences for him. So and I kind of I will say I completely forgot that Nine Inch Nails goes all the way back to 89. Because when, when I think of him, I don't think about them until like mid 90s. Right. But this is so I, I did try to come in with a little bit of like, holy shit, this is earlier than I even remember. So it's going to be a little bit raw, if you will. Um, yeah. Then, then what? And I to me, I mean, yeah. The like what you talked about. I mean, downward spiral, uh, fragile with teeth. Like, I think we're a lot more refined. But I mean, it had to build up on something. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just weren't going to come out the gate with those. And this, I think, laid the foundation for all of his later work. All right. Well, uh, let's get into our album, and uh, we start things off with uh, a pretty popular song, "Head Like a Hole." one comes out rocking i mean you kind of have some like tribally stuff at the very beginning um but it's got a good mix of electronic and industrial style with a rock style as well yeah and, and, and I, I think this is a good first track to the album like just to, like, overall this is your introduction to nine inch nails there's a, there's just a lot of power to this song i think um it gets you in the mood yeah yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Great energy on this song. Um, yeah, it, it, to me, this it, is a go-to Nine Inch Nails standard type of song. Like, uh, and because I have heard this one before, it was on the and all that could have been, and it's just it, it's fantastic. You know, it should, I feel like it should be on every Nine Inch Nails mix kind of song. Um, I did watch the music video, and it's very Nine Inch Nails before it got artistic. It's just kind of like fast cutting. Here's some like weird possible concert style footage mixed with like some stock footage and then of course they're like flipped reversed or other kind of effects on them and it's just like it's edited really fast and mostly like to the beat and things like that but it's just like eh, it felt it felt derivative but that's only probably because i've seen so many other music videos like it yeah and to uh, me i mean this isn't my favorite nine inch nail song but i mean i think it's one of the most 
his, I don't know if it's his best known song, but it's going to be up there. I mean, obviously I think Closer is up there, but I think Closer is also up there because of the lyrics, like the, that sure. almost shock value. This yeah. it was so popular, you know, I mean, it, it drove that. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a strong, strong song that I recognized. I think even, even earlier, you know, when I was younger, like this was popular enough that I knew of it. Um, the, so the songs, it's it's lyrically, it's about referring to people who worship their money and how they don't care about anything else, basically. And and definitely that's that's a something that uh, Trent Reznor kind of pushes in general. Whether you know, I don't know he, he's got some political statements in general. Obviously, he's he's a political kind of guy, and he he pushes. Um, against like the the system, you know, like the main society and the corruption of that with money in general, and also against God and other times and things like that. So, uh, so we'll, we'll get into more of that with this album. But yeah, I think this is a, a great start to the album. And in your introduction to all this, if you have not heard the Devo cover of this song, you need oh, to yeah. check it out. It is, it's almost comical because it's Devo. Sure, but it, but it's there. It's just and then just you know even the, the Depeche Mode, the Diva, like in the references to that stuff that they're the ones who covered this. Hmm. Is it kind of very... like their cover of Satisfaction? I don't know if you've ever heard that. Their cover oh. is it it's, horrible? Uh, no, it's just it's weird. It's Devo. <laughs> it's okay, and, and that's how I kind of feel about this one. Is it's like I won't call it a great song, but it's like you hear it and you're like, that's. That's definitely Devo. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We'll definitely have to check that one out. And we'll move on to our next track, the second track on here, uh, called Terrible Lie. Why am I seething with this animosity? I think you owe me a great big apology. I think this is, an, this is another one I recognized again because it was on that, that live album. I'm surprised because I thought it was a single. Um, and so just because, I, again, I hadn't heard it before this. And so kind of hearing the studio version was very different, a lot cleaner. You don't have like the loud, st- the, the live action stuff to it. Um, but it's a good song. It's a good, for, yeah, I, I, I like it. It's a good follow-up to the first track. I think it's fun. And, and we'll see this with a, a few songs. I made notes on here, which ones. But I like how Head Like a Hole finishes the segue into Terrible Lie. It doesn't miss a beat. There's not a pause. It, it goes one right into the other. It just it flows so well. You're right, and we do see that particularly. I'd say on the second half of the album, even better. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's I always always appreciate that when an album cares about the flow. And I think this is the first song. I mean, there, there's a lot of relationship angst breakup in this, but I, like, this is I think where it starts. Like you you start to see some of that angst in this song. I think of this relationship either that he has or you know even if you're listening to it that you have a bad breakup but like a lot of it starts i think right here and this i think in in a lot of his other songs of this verse chorus verse you don't have so much of it in this song i mean it's more the reputation uh, repetition that nine inch nails was known for most a lot of their songs i really like this song but i prefer the live version i do too I appreciate where it came from, but I definitely like the live version. Nine times out of ten, I like the heavier stuff, as it were, anyway. Um, also, I like 
that uh, in the live version, he starts this out. And I don't know about you, Adam, but that song scares the shit out of me every time because it comes out of nowhere and it's loud to start. And I often forget that I forget that it's going to start that way. And every time Mm -hmm. I jump a little bit because it surprises me each time. And I was actually, I had not listened to the studio version in probably 20 years before listening to it for this. Uh, And I was a little disappointed I didn't get that same sensation. So I've I've become used to it with it. Um, I I like this version of the song. I love the live version of the song. I think that's a good sentiment. I, I would agree with that, actually. Yeah, the live version is a fantastic song that I can listen to a lot of times, and and this one's fine. It, it's it's yeah. completely yeah, it's a good. I like it. But knowing um, knowing you know what resources he had to make this, I not not to say that I'm excusing it because it's not. It, I shouldn't have to excuse it. It's a good mm-hmm. song, but you know by the time the live album came out, he had the resources and the live band and all that stuff to really up the production of yeah, a, of a right. song like that. And here he's just using what he's got, but he's still creating a good song. Yeah, and I think there was even a, an interview with him, like when he made this album, he was like, part of it was like, nobody's going to listen to it anyway. Nobody's going to hear it. And as he threw stuff together, you, you see that, like, I mean, yeah, it was built on like in the live stuff, but I mean, it's one person engineering a lot of the sounds. Um, apparently what the song's uh, possibly about, is so the there yeah you talked about relationships and there's a lot of relationship th- themes throughout this one this one i think is about a relationship with faith um he's kind of losing with it he's struggling that um and, and also potentially realizing that religion in general might just be one terrible lie <laughs> <laughs> so all right now let's move on to uh one of their like is one of the first like singles on this uh album and or the one that came out first and um, people might know it, and it's called Down In It. Kind of like a cloud, I was up way up in the sky, and I was feeling some feelings you wouldn't believe. Sometimes I don't believe in myself, and I decided I was never coming down. Just then, a tiny little dot caught my eye. It was just about to just want to see, but I watched it way too long. It was pulling me down. I will say I got flashes of was a Debbie Harry rapture uh, with this one where she does her rap or whatever that one is. Um, yeah, this is apparently the first song. It said, on, it said on Wikipedia, and I inherently just trust Wikipedia. Apparently the first song ever written by Trent Reznor. That's what it said. Interesting. It's got an 80s electronic feel. It's got some cheese factor to me. Yes. Uh, maybe listening it to it now. Maybe at the time it wasn't, but now it does. It even got some like nursery rhyme stuff. The rain, rain, go yeah, away. Yeah, at the very end. Yeah, stuff. it's 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 kind of weird, you know, of of that. I yeah. would think I agree with the electronic version. I don't, I feel like this song is not as heavy industrial feeling as the rest of yeah. them. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a little bit slower. I had some notes here that I mean, it to me, it's. Like a, a young person who's full of hope at the start of the song. Okay. And yeah. you start to see that collapse. Like, he, it's this young yeah. person who's got this hope, this ideal, this, and just the the crushing way of the world coming out on, like, nothing's working out. It makes sense. that He said, apparently, in a in a broadcast um, that it was da- down in it is a, inspired by a relationship that had recently ended for him. Yeah. 
And to so. me, I, I think one of it's one of my lines that I, I, there's a couple songs I pulled lines from, but this is it's one that always stuck with me. It's what I used to think was me is just a fading memory. Yeah, the guy the guy knows knows how to write lyrics. He knows how to write music. I, I'm gonna flat out say I didn't care for this song. <laughs> uh, it's just not. If I listen to it in 1989, maybe you know, probably it has that feel. It's got like that. You know, this is more a Depeche Mode feel to me, or something like that. I don't come to Nine Inch Nails for this shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the song could have been a lot better without the nursery rhyme at the end. I think that kind of the nursery rhyme at the end plays back, I guess, into that young person hope. But yeah, it's the nursery rhyme was all that's all was always weird. Well, and apparently, um, this song, um, Reznor admitted that he was attempting to rip off the Skinny Puppy song "Dig It," which I think has okay. something similar. My thoughts on the song. <laughs> As a song as a whole, lyrics, vocals, production, I'm kind of with you, Adam. It's it's not it's not what I come to Nine Inch Nails for. What I did find myself liking, and I actually went back and listened to the song twice, was I I really enjoyed what he was doing with the background, with the um, like with the drum machines and the synthesizer stuff. I actually found myself listening to it and just kind of tuning his voice out. To listen to what was going back that I actually really enjoyed it once I took Trent Reznor out of the equation. Okay, uh, but yeah, with it, I just I didn't I wasn't down in it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what you did nice. there. Yeah, um, I do want to add. Apparently, uh, Trent Reznor and, and the band uh, Lip Sync performed it on a dance show called uh, Dance Party USA. And the footage was originally thought to be lost, was rediscovered in 2012, and it is on YouTube, and I watched it, and it's fucking hilarious. It just It's like these white people, 80s, kind of dancing to this song, and he's like on stage with, you know, they're obviously synth sounds you're hearing, but they're like doing it with like a electronic drums or whatnot, but it is just playing the track. It looks awful. It looks like, oh god, that's the, <laughs> that is just 80s cheese. So I do recommend everybody go check that out. All right, let's move on to our fourth track called Sanctified. Um, I do think Sanctified is the name of like either like a Christian rock band or something. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it feels like it should be. Feels so, like it should be. Yeah. Um, this one has some synth bass to it, uh, and and all this stuff. And and Brian, I know you said this was a perfect album, but here at track four, I'm already going to say you're wrong. <laughs> this song was so meh to me. Oh, really, I found it, Sanctified, I, found I think, it is great. It's boring to me. Oh, see, it, it didn't do it. Didn't do it. Yeah, see, to me, I mean, yeah, it's a lot calmer, but to me, the, the sense of dread in the song is is what's builds for everything. Okay. It's that, again, this I, there's so many songs that that personal relationship that's falling. Um, the line in here of heaven's just a rumor that she'll dispel as she walks me through the nicest parts of hell. To me, like, if you have a really bad break, and we're going to see this, and I'm going to reference yeah. this some more, but if you have, like, a really bad breakup and you're trying to, like either rekindle this relationship or get over this relationship. I don't know. This song just kind of is, I think the start of that. I can understand the meaning and the depth of the lyrics. 
Um, Reznor apparently has said the song is about a relationship with a crack pipe because um, he did for a short period. He was uh, addicted to crack. Um, and so this might have to do with this potentially has to do with that. He's I mean, addicted and, to a lot of stuff. <laughs> probably. And the lyrics, I can't deny. Yeah, the quality of the poetry in the lyrics, the song. <laughs> no goose to my man. Ah. <laughs> uh. Sadness. I so I listened to this whole album twice, and the first time I listened to Sanctified, I really liked it. The second time I listened to Sanctified, I actually paid attention to the vocals, much like in Down in It, and didn't like it the second time. <laughs> um, and I think it had to do with simply the the immaturity of experience of Trent Reznor in recording his vocals, and I. I just didn't find myself enjoying that part. I actually really, again, because I don't deal too much with synth stuff, or I I do at a very basic level, I'm always interested in hearing things that are, are kind of not uh, like expert at it or more advanced than uh, myself. And I think he's doing a really good job with all these like synth programmings and drum machines. I know he had help because there was like five producers on this on this album. Mm-hmm. With the without with the with the exception of the weird pad sound that comes in, like when the drums come in, I'm like, okay, I you know it's drum machine, but I can kind of dig it. And then that little sort of angelic pad sound comes in. Ah, I don't know. After that, it kind of lost me. But everything else on it, I actually really enjoyed. But I had pretty much the same reaction to this one as I did to Down in It. Really enjoyed listening to the background. Reznor's voice. It was mostly his voice. He's he is quite out of tune in this album. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and in some ways that that plays to his benefit. Like there are times when doing that really add to a song and then there's times when you're just fucking out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately in in this one that's what I heard. It, like it didn't sound like choices, it sounded like he missed the note he was shooting for. Well, John, I guess um being in tune is something that Trent Reznor can never have. Uh and so we're just going to Move right along, ha ha, to something I can never have. I'm down to just one thing, and I'm starting to scare myself. You make this all go away. You make this all go away. I just want something. I just want something. Um, this is a very haunting uh, track here. It, it's it dark and intense, and I'd have to say, it, maybe it's a flip flop for me. I'm not sure if "Head Like a Hole" or this one is my favorite on the track. Uh, you know, on this album, um, both of them fantastic. This one, I really, really like the the intensity of it. Okay, I thought we were going to have to have a fight here for a second, Adam. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely by far my favorite track on the album. It's probably one of my top five overall Nine Inch Nails songs. Um, it's not my favorite, but it, it's it's up there, though. Great you that that steam-like sound, you know, like a, it's almost like a train sound or something that, like a steam train that whatever, the... And he plays with um, stereo use as well. So if you have headphones, it'll kind of like, you know, he'll pan it in different portions. Um, and this is one I did know from And All That Could Have Been, but this, this studio version might be better i'm gonna have to listen to them side by side it's because it's really nice because you don't get the 
it's nice to not have the um the background of a of a of a group or of the uh, audience listening as well it's nice to just kind of you feel like you're even more into it um so i i really really like how dark this one felt even though it isn't much slow i mean it had like a whole very very different song but different felt like this one is just you know you get that piano track in the background and it's just i don't know yeah it, yeah it's, that it's piano track's great it's just it, it, it adds and i'm and i'm glad this wasn't the last song on the album but i will say mm. And we're going to get ready to get into it here. It's a hard song to follow up to because it's there's such a despair of of everything that's happening. But I'm glad it doesn't leave you on that note. There's something else after it, you know. Sure. But it's just it could, it could have been a very good ender, though. I could have, I could have seen that. But even though, even right here, I mean, just any time, I, I definitely appreciate this song. And, and there's again two lines here of this song that I, I would of gray would be the color if I had a heart, and then everywhere I. Everywhere I look, you're all I see. Just a fading fucking reminder of who I used to be. And to me, this song builds into Hurt on Downward Spiral. Mm. The two probably have nothing to actually link them in my mind. They're linked. Like, Hurt builds upon this. I mean, I know Hurt was about his heroin addiction and all of that. But just this was that it was either it, it could have been the addiction, a relationship. Just there's so much something in his life has just been taken away um, or multiple things. You know? Yeah. From, from what I read, the kind of two prevailing theories are one, it's either kind of mostly about lost love and missed chances, or there are um, a lot of suicidal themes in this song potentially. Yeah. So, and so it, it's, yeah, well, it's and, only about pain. <laughs> and, and again, this is another one of, and well, you didn't like sanctify, but sanctify going to this one, that segue was another good track that just, you went from one right into the other. Um, okay. And how yeah. this, and even with the, yeah, just how sanctified end and just, and then you get into this slow, just brooding, just real calm, just, you know, an interpersonal look here of this one. Anything you want to add to it, John, or should I just move on? I clearly didn't get as much out of the song as y'all did. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, uh, like Adam had mentioned to other ones, I appreciate the poetry, but to me, the execution fell flat. I really, I actually, the second time through the album, I actually skipped the song halfway through. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. I like, wow. I like the, the hauntingness, but again, man, I was focusing on his vocals way too much. Uh, and it was bothering me because I was it at this point, And I, I, I understand that it, it, as a first album, you have to give a pass a lot of the times to, um, artists because they're still figuring things out. And a lot of times they'll go back to what they're used to. I heard like the same melodic figures over and over again in this song that I had heard in previous songs. And by then I was, by then I was bored with it. So, and we've, I mean, we've talked about it with other albums where after a while you realize the pattern of the songs you're like, Oh, it's, I'm mm-hmm. hearing the same thing again, but it's also, it's yeah. their first album and you gotta, you have to let them explore things cause they're going to grow from that. Um, but, it's also weird to be used to hearing the later stuff more and then going back to the early stuff and trying really hard to look at it with fresh eyes and ears, really, in this case. Yeah, apparently love for this song is something that I can never have. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I kind of want to. Well, 
Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Brian kind of wants to, you know, punch you, but instead we'll just move I, on. I'm to... not going to say it's the worst song on the album, though. How about that? <laughs> okay. Oh, there's still more to come. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next song, track six, which is Kinda I Want To. All right, so we're back to 80s synth pop a little bit with this song. Uh, it, it had some similarities to Down In It to me, where it definitely uh, has that has that feel, that 80s uh, electronic feel. And I had the same feel to this one as I did in Down In It, which is didn't like it very much. To me, this is probably the worst song on the, on the album. Um, and I wouldn't have put it here. This is where I would have rearranged this album. Um I guess it on one hand it gives a nice break of the last. Of, I know you don't like saying five, but it gives a nice break of something I can never have of what's going in. It changes, mm-hmm. but this wasn't the song that I would have followed up. Something I can never have. It just it it yeah just takes you out of that mood. Um, would you, would you have flip flopped this maybe and put the track seven sin in this place? Um, or so yeah. What what would what would have been a better spot for for you or for following up? Probably I would have put and we'll get to it here in a minute. But I think I would have. And it's kind of weird. Something I can hear half and then would one into that's what I get and okay. then threw it in after that. Probably then like sin and then kind of I want to. I mean, it, okay. it sounds to me like you really just want to put something I can never have at the end so that nothing follows it. No, I don't want something I can never have at the end. Okay. It, to me, yeah. it sounds like yeah, a, say, yeah. to me, that sounds like a perfect ending song. Something I can and, and, and it could be. I mean, I get that. I, I, I do it because I, I, to me, it is a hard track to follow up, but I want mm-hmm. something after it, though. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, apparently you're not the only one who dislikes this track, Brian. Apparently Trent Reznor has gone on record saying he's unsatisfied with the song and thinks it's by far the worst one he's ever done. Um, he's also stated it's the one song he will never play live anymore. <laughs> so he he is not a fan of this one. Um, apparently about his uh, addiction to, to crack cocaine, um, and he's singing about... Uh, the, a crack pipe on the other side side of the room. So kind of, I want to, you know, he sees it over there. I, I kind of want to do it. I want to go get my fix. Um, so that kind of thing. I mean, so interesting, interesting stuff. But just yeah, the song and the vibe and the feel, yeah, just not. It's not my. It, it's. I mean, I don't dislike that, but it's just not where I'm here for Nine Inch Nails for. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, let's move on to our next one, and this is one of my favorite things, which is Sin. Uh, this one does kind of, I know at the end, I think it flows into uh, the next song yep. as well. Um, another one that I definitely heard from and all that I could have been. And I also very much liked better on uh, all that I could have been without question. Um, this 
I didn't think the mix was actually particularly good on this song. Um, I think Trent Reznor's vocals were probably hidden down a little bit more than they needed to. And like that synth sound was a little bit higher. Um, but the song itself is good. I like I like the framework of the song. I like the, the you know, the most of the meat and bones to it. Um, it has a little bit more of that rock influence, which I like. Uh, which, you know, again, uh, had like a whole, I like that better, and that's a little bit more rock one. So it's it's interesting. It's a solid song. It peaked at number 35 on the UK singles charts. Um, but if I'm going to listen to this one, I'm going to, and all that and and all that I, that could have been as opposed to this uh, studio track for me. Sure. I mean, I get that. I, I mean, I guess we're looking, I mean, that's some other stuff. But yeah, just, I mean, to me, this, this album had to come out before any of the live stuff, you know. It did, but I'm listening to it now. Yeah, right. And that's important to me. And that means I'm never going to fucking listen to that song on that way again, even though the song itself is good. Yeah. Just in a bit different version. <laughs> but I mean, that's a very theoretical way to break it down in your head. If you have to illusion yourself however you want, Brian, to make it work, <laughs> I get it. Um, you know, making all the excuses. But, you know, it, it is it is interesting. Like, yeah, it, it definitely things might have changed if I heard this album closer to the time and before some of the other stuff. Right. And I, and I think that's what we talked at the beginning of, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this, this whole album was my introduction to Nine Inch Nails versus coming into it now, having experienced other things and then coming to this one. Um, yeah. Which is nice. We're getting different perspectives. Um, so depending, you know, people out there, you know, who are listening, it's kind of curious. Can you set yourself in a mindset more like Brian, or are you a stubborn bastard like me who just who does what he knows and that's that? Or, or um, right, so. or are you musically inclined like John? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yep, John. Anything particular about Sin that you liked or disliked? Um, um, well, much like you, I actually love the live version of this. I would have. Lo- I don't know if he has, but I would love to have him release an, a, a studio album version of some of these songs closer to the live style that he does them mm. with more sort of guitar and stuff like that. I understand why he probably wouldn't want to just let it live. I mean, the, the live album is out there for a reason. And I have seen Nine Inch Nails live. Uh, I saw mm. them once um, in concert with Soundgarden. Yep. I saw, and I saw, you saw them in Vegas. I saw them uh, in Denver on the same yeah. tour. And it was a great show. Great show. God, both, both bands killed it that night. It was it was a great show to go to. Um, I don't like the sample that's in like it's at the beginning and the end of Sin, the cha 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 or whatever that is. It sounds Mortal Kombat. It does, this, this which, which is which is way before Mortal Kombat. But it, I just don't I just don't like because it doesn't fit, especially when it comes back at the end. And I know we're like starting to transition into the other song, but it just bugs me. There's another sample in in this version that I don't like either. Um when you take if you take those out, those two kind of like the sample things I don't like, I still like this song and I will mm-hmm. happily go back to listen to this one if I needed to. I do prefer the live version as I said. Um but there's yeah, there's just some sample choices in here that 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 bothered me a little bit. Yeah. Um I do want to mention because I since I saw that same uh, tour you did without question Soundgarden rocked better as in like they 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 were the better band you know they, they had like a more rock feel to them and because they're up there they're actually playing their instruments and stuff like that but the Nine Inch Nails portion was the better show mm-hmm. if that makes sense like it, it, he definitely like wowed me with just 
including honestly, honestly, he had better lights going on as well as just the overall. Did he like, have like those, he put on an experience? Did he have like those movable panels or something that were like on the stage? I because yeah. I, I I seem to remember that from the show. Yeah, they were so, like on wheels cool. on the stage, and they kind of moved them around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. His live so. band is incredible. Yes. <laughs> All right, moving on to track eight, which is "That's What I Get." Now all that I've been hearing must be true I guess I'm not the only boy for you That's what I get That's what I get That's what I get That's what I get I originally gave this song an okay, but just listening to it again, right this second, I am dropping it down a peg. I am not, I not enjoy this, even just this second. It's, I've heard worse, I guess, but this one, this one did not do it for me. Now, see, I, I would have put, this is another, to me, good one, but this is the one I think I would have put after something I can never have. Um, oh, okay. And this is kind of strange. Like, to me, this almost gives... There's a better song I'll talk about in a second that not of this band that seems to have like this. The music almost makes you think it's happy, but the words mm. don't. Um, I think the best example of that is the Violent Femmes with um, country song or country love song, where it's this. this it, it has this feel like this happy go lucky song, and it's all about this dad who murders his whole family. <laughs> um, and you're like, you start listening to the lyrics, and you're like. Oh, this is dark, you know, but it's yeah. so it's so catchy and just bouncing along. Yeah, it's uh, apparently Trent Reznor stated that the song was not originally intended to be on the album, but rather meant for a B-side material. Um, and it, it's definitely about some kind of like, yeah, betrayal. Uh, and, you know, that's what I get. He did, you know, he deserves it, I guess, or something like that. Um, but yeah, like the, the sound just I don't know, not not loving it for me, but I can I can understand. I can understand why some people might like it. Yeah, and to me, this to this has that angst again of like this is your first relationship that ends bad, mm. and you're you're trying to figure out what's happening. To me, this was another one similar to Down on It, where I really actually enjoyed listening to the production itself of what was going on. I found myself really focusing on what he was was doing, not so much on what he was saying. I guess I'm just not as much of a lyrics guy. And I don't know if it's in this case or not, but I, I, I found myself surprised. And actually, I'll go ahead and say, like, the the whole – everything I, w- I was fully expecting to be like, oh, I'm just going to have to get through everything after Sin. And I actually found myself really kind of enjoying the songs after Sin, especially the especially the production, as it were. All right. Well, we are uh, made it to our penultimate song. We love that word, penultimate, on this podcast. Uh, and we are going to talk – the only time. Like the feel something new. Maybe I'm all messed up. Maybe I'm all messed up. Maybe I'm all messed up in you. Maybe I'm all messed up. Maybe I'm all messed up. Maybe I'm all messed up. Maybe I'm all messed up in you. Maybe I'm all messed up. So the thing that stings uh, uh, that um, stands out on this song is definitely that 
that plucky bass mm-hmm. that they've got going through this song. Almost Seinfeld-esque. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does that. Yeah. Very intense pluck. Um, it's, uh, I thought this one was okay. I'm giving this one. It's a, it's a, it's fine. Didn't do anything special for me. It's just kind of there. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. And, and we'll talk about this, the, the ending of the album in a second. I think I would have put this song. I think I would have ended on this one. Cause this just seems like this is what remains. This is the husk of the person left that everything else that has happened, the despair, the betrayal, just, this is just, this is the only thing that's left. And yeah. I think his, his line in there of uh, my moral standing is lying down just kind of shows that it just, there, there, there's nothing left at all. So I, I, I kind of interpreted that slightly different. So my moral standing is lying down. This song could be about fucking. It could be. <laughs> so, uh, which, you know, I, I give points for that, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, and now we are going to move on to the last song on the album, Ring Finger. This one act of consecration is what I ask of you. Just real listening, just some of these sounds, some of these like eighties. It it screams eighties to me, and I just I, I I have trouble with that connection um, to Trent Reznor and the eighties. But it's just re listening to it, just like it gets more and more eighties every time I hear it. <laughs> um, but it's got industrial feel, and it's another meh song for me. It's not it's not a song that makes me happy to go out on this album on. No, I, I think the the beginning of the song just because of the the segue from the only time to this and the ending mm-hmm. of the song. Everything else about the song is strange. Just everything about it is strange. I think what I, I, I really like about the song, it should have probably been used for the, is at the end, um, just the static sound going out. Kind of gives me the feeling, like the image of um, ephemeral being ripped. Mm-hmm. And it just, it and that's how it ends. You know, just this, and I like that portion of it. But this this is definitely, to me, the song is just, it's a strange song. Yeah. <laughs> it's strange. I, I love this song. <laughs> really? Of, co- of course. You, of course. You talked about his his vocals are actually kind of really bad on they, this one. At least like they are. Yeah. They, here's so here's the thing. After a while, you 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 start to notice like all the same thing. Like Trent Reznor goes through the same sort of vocal gymnastics that he does on, on most songs here. Like I said, we have to kind of excuse it um, because it's his first album. But this song. Here's a weird thing. It reminds me of a later song of his. Uh, he has a song from a 2013 uh, album called Hesitation Marks called Copy of a. And it, the sound, the, the synth sounds reminded me of that song. I actually really love Copy of a. And this one reminded me of it. And I, I found myself really actually rather enjoying it so much so that I actually listened to it again after it finished. And yeah, I liked the quirkiness of it. I liked that it sounded really weird and different. Maybe it just makes me weird and different, but I actually really enjoyed that. And, and all this goes back to kind of the same, like what Adam mentioned at the beginning, like the where he talked about those who want to stage dive to this album is there, but those who like the Depeche Mode will get out of it. Like, and to me, that's what a like 
even as we saw here, like some of John's songs that he really liked are the ones we did and ones we did. He did, you know, I don't know. Does that make sense what I'm saying? No, not really. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> That's okay. All right, let's just transition to our final thoughts. And Brian, we're going to let you be last on this one. Um, I'll go, then John, then, then you. I can see the feel of early Nine Inch Nails. You know, um, it definitely, definitely does seem like Trent has some growing to do musically um, to fill out his sound and to mature it. Um, to get it to a more interesting place for me. And so I like the songs that I've heard before, and particularly from the live album, because I already had a connection to it. And I think, you know, most of those were all better versions on the live album, um, save for something I can never have, which I do think might be it's a spirit version here on the studio album. I really, really liked it. But overall, this album was kind of a disappointment for me. Because I do know Nine Inch Nails, I've seen them live. I like them, and then I hear this, and I'm just like, "Who the fuck is this? This isn't this isn't the Nine Inch Nails I know, uh, and the Nine Inch Nails I like." There are shades of it. There, uh, you know, this is maybe building on the framework that becomes, you know, you know, this is putting down the foundation of the house that becomes Nine Inch Nails. Um, but I, you know, I, I feel like. In 1989, this definitely could have worked better if I heard it earlier, but for me, it's just not polished enough at this point in my life and at this time of when I'm hearing it. So I I didn't have the uh, grand experience that I was hoping to get from it, Um, but it was, you know, it's it's fine. I still respect it, of course. Knowing where we go from here as far as as just Trent Reznor's sound, I tend to agree with Adam. We have to start somewhere. And this, we do not get the Nine Inch Nails we know unless Trent Reznor goes through the journey that he gets through to put out Pretty Hate Machine. And he has to grow through there. And I'm totally fine with that. Um, Because he put out some really good songs on this album. And, you know, several that I would consider, like, I'm not going to use the word iconic, but... You know, at least one song that's very well known, and at least two other songs that I really love. I just don't love this version of it, but I won't get the versions I love unless this happens. So I have to be absolutely appreciative of the journey he went through to put out an album. And you know what? It, man, does it take balls to put music out at all? Um, and you know what? If you if you, all you have is yourself, and you just do it that way, and it worked for him, and it continues to work for him because most of the time it's just him or him and a few producers. When the studio albums, you know, come out, I probably won't go back to the album as a whole. Although I did really actually enjoy uh, Ring Finger, so I might go back to that one because that <laughs> one's not on the live one. So strange. <laughs> but the other versions of the songs that I like better are going to be the live versions, and I'm probably going to go back to that, which is going to keep me going back to his live shows whenever I can. So Yeah, so yeah, I think for me, just because this was my introduction to Nine Inch Nails, you know, in the 90s, and I think I got to to experience this and then go along the journey mm-hmm. that it, it spoke to me and then mm-hmm. go along to the journey of the downward spiral with teeth, fragile, and to see what it all became, but to be here at the beginning, like... And to see this build up. And I think that's the, just the nostalgia factor is why this album has, has stuck with me. I totally get that. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of bands whose first albums I really love 
and most people don't compared to other albums because they, the, you know, because I was there through the journey of it, and right. I appreciate that, and I understand like why you know some album you know this one album's more popular than the other. And, and the other thing, what I like about this album is it, it's ten tracks, mm-hmm. so it kind of like right when you. Even with Ring Finger, you're like, okay, this is overall okay. Starting to get old, start get it, and then it's over with. It's to me, it's, it was it was the right amount. I think it's forty eight or forty nine minutes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's less than an hour for the whole thing, and it's it just it, it's it just encapsulates. You know, you didn't get this like 15, 16, 17 album track album. Right. It was, yeah. it was it was it was to me it was the right amount. Yeah, and for yeah, exactly, and for a first album, you know, ten is is right. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't want to go too too much. Yeah. So yeah, that, I agree with that. All that. All right, Brian, thank you so much for doing your first album review with us. Uh, we massively appreciate it. Wait, um, any more to cause you pain, you know, whether it's movies or yeah, music, that, that, that's my goal. That is the surprise. I wasn't expecting any pain from a Nine Inch Nails album, but you still found ways to dig something <laughs> in there that I didn't care for. But thank you, sir. Um, yeah, we really appreciate it as always. Uh, anything else you want to shout out before we uh, end the cast? No, I don't think so. I think we're good. And that was Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. Please join us next time for a Billy Crystal-centric episode as we break down the 1991 film City Slickers, discuss the 70s TV show Soap, and recast City Slickers using actors of today. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. wrestled the demon Pazuzu in The Exorcist. Your mother is in here, Karis. Would you like to leave a message? I'll see that she gets it. We hooked the fisherman killer, Ben Willis, and I know what you did last summer. Oh, you got a letter? I got run over, Helen gets her hair chopped off, Julie gets a body in her trunk, and you get a letter. That's balanced. We survived a summer away with the angel of death, Angela Baker, in sleepaway camp. Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me, hmm? But we ain't seen nothing yet. Join Alex and Dean of the Return Revenge Resurrection Podcast as we go toe-to-toe with the ever-resourceful Michael Myers. I shot him six times! Be there as we discuss the Halloween franchise in its entirety, from John Carpenter's beloved 1978 classic to David Gordon Green's epic forthcoming finale. I shot him in the heart! We cover it all. The good, the bad, and the bloody. Return Revenge Resurrection, a podcast that slashes its way through horror movie franchises. You don't know what death is. New episodes every Thursday, available wherever podcasts are found. I told everyone!